Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. How many of you were here last night? Good. Where'd you, uh, what'd you do with all the others? It's uh, really good to be in the house of the Lord two days in a row. You know, when, when Anne-Marie led us in that song, I'm reminded of the scripture that says that every knee, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess. It is amazing to me that Jesus Christ, we worship him 2,000 years after his death and resurrection, but we worship him because he alone is worthy of our worship. And so that song reminds me of that. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you will bow your knee at the end of days. He is Lord of all. Let's turn in your Bibles to read uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I've saved this particular portion of the birth narrative for this morning. And the reason I have is because I believe this is one of the quintessential passages for us to study uh, in the book of Luke uh, regarding the birth of Christ. Um, While you're turning there, I do want to give a shout out to our friends at Harmony. Uh, They are faithful. Uh, Sarah uh, uh, McAvoy is always there. Uh, We have deacons who go to serve there. Uh, uh, These are the folks who live at Harmony and are not able always to physically be here and worship with us. But they listen faithfully to us via live stream every single Sunday. So, Harmony, we're grateful that you're part of our worship today. I also want to mention as well that the title for my message this morning is, Do You Have Room? Do You Have Room? Well, there's a reason for why that title is there. And so as we turn open the Word of God and we read from it, I want us to think about that question on your own hearts. So if you can and are able, please stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Father, this is your word. We pray that you will illumine our hearts to its truth this morning, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I think about this passage, I've always been fascinated by history. How many of you know that I'm a history buff? You all know that? Okay. I love history, and so this particular passage really speaks to biblical history, and it ties in very unique books of the Bible 
uh, for us to understand the deeper truths of why Christ came and what purpose he came for. But what's interesting is there's very little evidence to suggest exactly when Jesus was born. We know where he was born, but we don't necessarily know when. But we have some markers in the scriptures. And I'm going to walk us through that this morning so that you can know from the scripture when Jesus was born. And, uh, you know... At the end of this particular passage, it says there was no room for them in the inn. Um, how many of you have ever tried to check into a hotel and they tell you, I'm sorry, we have no rooms? Several of you? Okay. Um, how, how many of you have been turned away on your wedding night? <laughs> well, that happened to Susan and me. You may not know this, but Susan and I met in this church. We met in the singles group, along with Philip and Anne-Marie and a bunch of other singles. Uh, John Spearman was our teacher, he and Paul Wachter, uh, and we just had a great singles group. And we met and we dated each other, you know, we finally landed on the one we were going to marry. Um, and Susan and I got married in 1990. And guess what? We have this distinction. This sanctuary was damaged during Hurricane, Hurricane Hugo in 1989. And we had this entire sanctuary refurbished during Ed Carney's era and in early 1990. It was finally ready in June and Susan and I were the very first wedding in the new sanctuary. And a, a lady who will remain nameless would not allow us to videotape the wedding from up there. So my friend placed a video, uh, a, a, a video um, thing behind all of the groomsmen. So guess what was showing during the wedding ceremony? My friend George scratching his backside. Well, that was more information than you care to know. But then we went downtown to Society Hall. And let me tell you, it was an Indian summer. It was so hot, June 30th, 19... You can go and look it up, okay? Go Google it, June 30th, 1990. My friend Rob from Maryland said, Randy, this isn't just heat. This is oppressive heat. I can't even breathe. Society Hall doesn't have air conditioning. Furthermore, Susan and I forgot our iron. So our uh, brother-in-law decided, no worries, we'll make everybody wait. We'll go back to the house and get the iron, and then we'll meet them at the wedding. So everybody had to stand in the society hall, sweating bullets, waiting on us to finally arrive and have our first dance so they can eat. How many of you were there? Some of you were, and you remember it. Margie raised her hand. She said, yeah, that was horrible. But then we had a great celebration. It was a great reception. It was a night wedding, so we were exhausted by the time the reception was over. It was 11 o'clock p.m. We get in our little car, I guess it was a car, limo, whatever, and I had done the pre-planning. I said, we're going to stay at the Omni downtown, okay, which is Charleston Place now. The Omni downtown in the honeymoon suite. 
I put a lot, I mean, I planned ahead. Susan and I get to the Omni. We go to the front desk. And the lady says, I'm so sorry. But the people who stayed there last night decided to extend their stay. There was no room for the Disha rooms at the Omni on June 30th, 1990. Now, there is always a silver lining. And if you know me, I love history, but I also love to save a buck. Well, Omni, literally, they walked us down to the Mills House Hotel, and I got a free night stay. So, honey, thank you. She's been making up for it ever since then, anyway. But let me tell you, do you have room in your heart for Jesus? Do you have room in your heart for Jesus? Let me ask you another question, because most of us are believers here today. Do you have room in your schedule for Jesus? Do you have room in the daily machinations of your life for Jesus Christ? As we look at this scripture, we're going to answer three questions. When was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? And why was Jesus born? And you're going to find out that when we answer all three of those questions, you will make as much room as you possibly can for this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's dig in. The year was 4 to 6 BC. Now, why do we know that? Because Herod, uh, records indicate, died in 4 BC. And if Herod died in 4 BC, then Jesus, who himself must have been born, he was born during the time of Herod, and then the wise men came to worship him, and we know that he worshiped him, and then of course Herod then sent his guards to go and destroy or execute all children under two years of age. So most scholars place the date between 4 and 6 BC. However, we have a problem. In the scripture that we just read, it says that Quirinius was governor. Well, if you look at the records, Quirinius was governor from anywhere 6 AD to 12 AD. So we have a problem. And so therefore, scholars have been wrestling with this until finally some archaeological finds and some additional artifacts that came from the historian Josephus give us indication that Quirinius was governor twice. He was governor before BC as well and then probably during the time of Christ's birth. So Luke here, who loves to give a careful account of the message of gospel of Jesus Christ himself, understood that Quirinius must have been governor during that time. In addition to that, we look at Augustus Caesar, who is the one who gives the decree to go and do a census. Augustus Caesar was the most powerful man in the, in the world at the time. He was the king. He was actually, Caesar literally means God on earth, that he was God on earth. He was the most powerful man in the world. Rome had become the most powerful empire in the world's history. It was unbelievable the amount of technological progress that they had achieved in Rome. You would, you would argue that at that point in the world's history of humankind, that no empire had achieved such heights of technological advance as Rome. Rome had achieved 
the greatest pinnacle of all humankind, of all of history. I find it not coincidental that God would then, during the height of the reign of Augustus Caesar, send the king of kings into this world. Just think about that for a minute. When did Jesus come? At the height of what humans thought they could achieve. And he chose to send his son. But let's contrast them. On the one hand, you have a king, Augustus Caesar. On the other hand, you have a baby. A king or a baby. You have a God on earth versus a God from heaven. You have a powerful dictator versus a powerless infant. You have an exalted ruler versus a humble servant. You have a castle. You have a stable. You have a throne versus a manger. You have a robe versus clothing, swaddling cloths. You have a ruler over the entire empire versus one who would have no room at the end. The contrast is palpable, and yet it is into this condition that our Lord Jesus Christ, who we assemble to worship, was born. Do you know what? There are houses of worship throughout Charleston worshiping this baby. There are houses of worship throughout South Carolina that are worshiping this baby. There are houses of worship across the United States that are worshiping this baby. There are houses of worship over the entire world worshiping this baby. How many houses of worship are worshiping Caesar Augustus? Zero. None. Now let's go backward. For the last 2,000 years, people have assembled in houses of worship to worship this baby. This is why we're here. Because he was humble and then he was exalted. That is how the word of God teaches us. So my question then is, if, it, if he was born during the years of 6 to 4 B.C., then what time of year was he born? Well, we're here on December 25th. So was he born on December 25th? Most Christians realize, no, he was not. But why was that put forward? The Roman historian Sextus Julius Africanus gave December 25th as the date, believing that he was born on the same day that he died. The Roman church then chose the date to coincide with the winter solstice. One theory actually came up in the 12th century AD that the Pope chose the date to undercut the pagan ritual um, that, was in, that was called Sol Invictus, Sol Invictus. But none of these are plausible. In fact, if we look at the Bible, which we're going to do in a minute, 
says something very different. So there's three clues. Number one, the first clue, Jesus' birth date compared to John the Baptist. Turn back to chapter 1 of Luke. Chapter 1 of Luke, verses 26 and 27. Let's read it. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her, greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So you see now that Mary conceived in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Therefore, Jesus was born six months after John the Baptist. So when was John the Baptist born? We have to ask that question. So here's the second clue. Turn back again to chapter 1 of Luke. Look further back in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's father. Who, would long, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now who is Abijah? Those who ever sit in my Sunday school class know what am I going to do? I'm going to ask you to find Abijah in the Old Testament. And guess what we'll do? We'll go all the way back to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 24. Do you know what? Abijah was a priestly tribe and he actually was cast to serve in the 8th priestly service. Each division served for an entire week. There were 24 divisions. You can go back and look at 1 Chronicles 24 and you can see all 24 priestly divisions. And when you see them, you'll find that Abijah was the 8th division. Now, why does this matter? If Abijah was serving in the 8th division and Zechariah was serving because he was from the tribe of Abijah, then we know when Zechariah was serving. It was actually in the time of the Jewish lunar calendar towards the um, March-April time frame is when the, the calendar begins and then counting eight weeks forward, you get to the first or second week of June. Now, this must have been the time when Zechariah went in and was told that you will have a son. This eighth service then begins in the month of Sivan, which is the month of June. John was conceived in the middle of Sivan. Counting six months before, be, between John and Jesus and Mary's nine-month pregnancy, 15 months total, you then come to the following year, mid to late September, even as, early, as late as early October is when Jesus was born. Now, why does this matter? Number one, the shepherds were in the fields. They would not have been in the fields on December 25th. It would have been too cold. But they were in the fields. This gives indication that it was October. Secondly, the third pilgrimage feast occurs in late September, early October. Guess which one that is? It is the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the Feast of Ingathering. Now, what's interesting, too, is that the the uh, Tabernacles is the third pilgrimage feast. What are the first two? The first one is the Passover, which happens in the spring. The second one is Pentecost, which happens in June, nine, uh, 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 50 days after the Passover. And then guess what? The third one is in the fall, 
which is the time of tabernacles. And what is tabernacles? It is the feast of ingathering. So now we understand that Jesus was born at one of the three festivals in the fall. He died. He died at Passover. He was our Passover lamb. And the law, the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples of Christ at Pentecost. So now what you see is the fulfillment of God's messianic festivals being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why does this matter? Many of you are probably sitting there going, Randy, you're a history buff, we get it. But this is, this is a little bunch. But do you know what it does for me? That when you take this Bible and you really study it, you turn off the phone, you turn off the TV, you say, I'm going to shut myself up in a room and I'm going to study what this Bible has to say. Little by little, piece by piece, it starts to come together. And God will use that in your life to fuel your faith. It'll fuel your faith. I am so convinced that this word was written by the divine God of the universe. That he wove all this together because he really wants the people of this world to seek him. To seek him out. To search. To look. To dig. To really wrestle with it. And little by little, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you will reveal to you little pieces, little nuggets of truth that will fuel your faith to the next level. What does that do? When your faith is full, when you are really in Christ and you are really living for him, we're getting ready to start a new year. Can 2023 be the year that you truly, fully commit to Christ? Well, the reason you would do so is because God has revealed enough nuggets of truth to you that you sit back and you are in awe of what God revealed to you in the scripture. That when the difficulties come, when the pain comes, when you contract the disease, when you lose a loved one, when your child goes awry, you will hold fast to the Jesus Christ who is the center of this scripture. No matter what happens in your life, you will believe that God is the one who is the author of the end from the beginning. He knows all. And because of that, he himself has revealed himself to us. That's what I think is so fascinating about Bible study. But you know what we do? We come to church, we turn it over, and we say, thank you. Now I'll come back next week. And what I want us to do is to become personal Bible students. I want Ashley River to be the kind of church that says we dig into the word of God. Because the word of God is what will reveal the Holy Spirit and his work in your life in such a powerful way. Amen? I'm convinced of it. So we know when Jesus was born now. It wasn't December 25th. It was probably in the fall of that 4 to 6 BC time frame. 
Where was he born? This is a quick and easy one. He was born in Bethlehem. Look at what it says. That he had to go, no, Joseph had to take Mary to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now, Bethlehem means what? House of bread. There's no, there's no coincidence here. House of bread literally means that Jesus himself called himself, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He also said, I am the light of the world. He also said, I am the gate for the sheep. He also said, I am the good shepherd. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. He also said, I am the true vine. He also said, before Abraham was born, I am. You know, Jesus made some incredible claims about himself. Incredible. Most of us, if somebody walked up to you today and said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. What would you say? Dude, you need a therapist. You need somebody to talk to. But no, he made these claims because they were true. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the true manna from heaven. Once again, true manna reflecting back to the time the Israelites were wandering in the desert. He was born in a stable, in a manger, a feeding trough. You want to you feed on the Lord Jesus Christ? We took the Lord's Supper last night. His body and his blood. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And then why was Jesus born? There's really just two reasons. The first one, flip, flip over to Romans chapter 3. A very rich passage. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to read for us verses 21 to 26. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. Who is this righteousness? It's Jesus Christ. Apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. There is no difference. And then, of course, we all quote this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room have fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. The redemption means to buy back. That came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood. And here's the key. He did this to demonstrate his justice. You see, the character of God cannot be against itself. God is just. God is just. Sin cannot just, he doesn't just wink at sin. God is just. He wants to hold sinners accountable. But in his wisdom and in his great love, he was able to satisfy his justice by placing the penalty for our sin on his own son. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
So all of us who have come to faith in Christ, all of us are now justified. That doesn't mean we are sinless. It doesn't mean we haven't messed up. It only means that God declares us not guilty because he has found us to be in Christ. So we see that the first reason is very simply to satisfy the justice of God. But then the second one is to save us from our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we'll not turn to it, but it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this is why Jesus came, to save sinners. Jesus told his disciples, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you know somebody that's lost today? Do you know somebody that's far from God today? Do you know somebody that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity without him? I do. And it breaks my heart. Because we have the truth. And we live in a world where truth is becoming relative. We live in a world where every single person claims their own truth. How is the church to respond to that? Well, we get our example in everything from Jesus Christ. He went up to that adulterous woman who was about to be stoned for her sin. And then he stooped down in the sand and he wrote out something that we'll never know. But it must have been something powerful because one by one, her accusers dropped their rocks and walked away. You see, we see the very first essence of who Christ really is, his grace, his mercy, his love. He showed that woman love. She was an outcast of society. People wanted to get rid of her. And he said, I loved you by asking her this question. Does no one condemn you? He said, then neither do I condemn you. Now, if he'd have stopped right there, we'd have an entirely different gospel. We'd have have an entirely different biblical worldview. But Jesus didn't stop there. Because then he pronounced truth. You see, he brings grace. He brings mercy. But he brings truth. Because he said, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. All of us in this room are required to go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Show grace, show love, show mercy 
preach truth. Give them the truth. This is why John, the gospel writer, said, we have seen the Son of God full of grace and truth. So this year, as we finish up 2022, I want us to say to ourselves, I'm willing to reorganize my life for Jesus. Now, I understand I'm talking to those who are here on a Sunday morning called Christmas Day. But the world will watch us. The rest of the congregation will watch what we do. It's usually a challenge for us to put enough time in our hearts for God. You know, we make room for company to come. We make room for the Christmas tree to fit into your den or in your room. We make room for a crowded schedule of activities around the Christmas season. Will we make room for Jesus? I have a busy life. You have a busy life. But every one of us is making a choice about how we spend our time. God wants time with you. God wants time with me. So in these next few moments, I want us to think about 2023. What will your calendar look like? What will you put on your calendar for your own personal spiritual growth? Your journey with Jesus Christ. Because at the end of days, you're going to bow your knee to him. Like I said last night, my dear friend David England, one of the scariest verses in all of scripture to him was when Jesus said, depart from me for I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? Does he know you intimately? That's the hard question for all of us. I want Jesus to say, Randy, great job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray that he has the same thing to say to you when you see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, me, we just are just humbled by the truth of your scripture the grace and the mercy and the love of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will help us to all do an introspection, a real introspection into our hearts this morning. This is, this is the core of your church called Ashley River. We're all here because we love you. We're all here because we want to worship you. We're all here because we want to devote our entire lives to you. <coughs> But Lord, I pray that you will use us to be light, not only to the rest of the congregation, but also to the rest of this community, that Jesus is real to us in such a way that we extend grace and mercy and truth to this generation. We love them, and we want them to know the joy of being your children. Father, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, 
and all that you will do. Father, we're going to pray and we're going to sing this song. I pray, Lord, that those who want to come and be a part of this church family, they'll come forward at this time. I pray, Lord, that those who have never trusted you, really, really laid their full heart out to you, that they'll do that today, that they'll make that decision. And Lord, I'll pray, Lord, that all of this is to glorify you and your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me and we'll sing. And you